You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Queer in the Air. My name is MV and I'll be on the show with Tracy this afternoon. Hi, Tracy. How are you? Good. How are you, MV? Looking forward to this afternoon. We have a few guests on this afternoon as well. We have... Aslan, who is a queer Muslim refugee who has been active in racial justice advocacy and advocacy for queer POC, particularly queer Muslim asylum seekers and refugees and queer Muslims. Um, Aslan will be speaking with us via telephone at about five past three. And then later on, we have Babak Sayed. Yes, Babak will join us at around 3.30. And um, yeah. Babak is... um, Babak works at uh, Queer Space and has been involved in an LGBTI mentoring program for individuals, um, especially queer intervi- inter- inter- individuals, excuse yeah. me, and their families. Uh, Babak also is an editor for Un Magazine, a social worker, a writer, and also a queer person of colour. So we're very excited to have both these amazing guests on with us this afternoon. And just to start off, we're going to play a song. This is by an amazing uh, Sydney artist. Her name is Zaya Barroso, and Zaya is a Latinx trans woman, a performance artist, uh, a trans activist, and an all-round incredible human being. This is one of her tracks, and the track is called I Am Will Be by Zaya Barroso. Zaya Barossa with I Am Will Be and you're listening to Crew in the Air with MV and Tracy. The time is just uh, six minutes past three. And on the line we have our first guest, which we are very privileged to talk with live on air. We have Aslan, who is an incredible person, who is a queer Muslim refugee, who has been an act- who's been active in racial justice advocacy and advocacy for queer POC people especially queer asylum seekers and refugees and queer Muslims. Aslan, welcome to 3CR's Queer in the Air. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I'll start with asking you to tell us about yourself. So I'm a, as you mentioned, I'm a queer Muslim refugee. I was recently granted a protection visa. So I've been in Australia for quite a bit, but I was only recently uh, um, given a protection visa earlier this year, actually. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. So yeah, I came here as an international student first, um, so I experienced life in Australia as a, as a migrant. Um, but then um, I started having some issues, like with my family, who are very homophobic. So I, I experienced some family violence and homelessness. So in, after that, uh, I was advised to apply for a protection visa, and that's where I am now. Yeah. And also because of my experience, I've actually been really active in racial justice and also rights for queer people of color. Oh, that's really nice. Um, so as a Muslim, obviously, like, we all know that it's Ramadan and um, it's a special month for Muslim people. And um, as a Muslim queer, can you tell us more about the Ramadan social? Well, Ramadan is just every is, is just um, uh, is part of the the five tenets of Islam. 
So as a Muslim, you have to do that's like five things that you have to five basic things that you have to do, which includes um, reciting um, the solemnization of that, that you say that you're a Muslim, where you say that you're you uh, believe in God and believe in the Prophet, um, and you also things like prayers, praying five times a day, and um, going to Hajj, uh, praying, uh, paying. Uh, Paying alms for the poor, and the other one is of course uh, fasting. So fasting is basically happens in the month of Ramadan for about twenty nine to thirty days, um, and that's what's happening at the moment. So it's just uh, a month where we observe um, um, our 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 behavior, our attitudes. Um, but the most clear is the fact that we. We stop eating from from uh, dawn till dusk. Yeah. So we refrain ourselves from eating and drinking, and and yet we also try to do more uh, devotional things or to show our devotion to God and the religion, and also to do a lot of charity. So that's mm-hmm. what Ramadan is about. Hassan, it's MV here. Um, in relation to Ramadan, um. There is an event that I've been made aware of called the the Queer Ramadan Social. How does an event like this empower queer Muslim people, and and what happens at these events? Well, this is actually, I mean um, during Ramadan, there's a lot of people actually organize um, iftar, which is the break, uh, which is the meal that Muslims have uh, to break their fast. Um, but for queer Muslims. Um, I think what we what we're doing here is just reaching out to queer Muslims who might be feeling isolated, because Ramadan is actually a very special moment, uh, special time for Muslims. It's similar to, I suppose, for like um, North Americans, similar to like uh, Thanksgiving or uh, Christmas. Well, the point is that the time that you spend a lot of time in your family and your community. And for a lot of queer Muslims who uh, who are out or or maybe not out, they're not able to be with their family and community because of their sexuality, perhaps. Mm. So this is actually a time um, time for them to find space for them to be with their community if they can't, if, when they usually can't be. And I suspect you attend these events. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happens at these events and and what feedback have you heard from the people who have attended? Uh, you have said that. These are, it's a very special time, similar to um, the Western celebrations of Thanksgiving or perhaps Christmas. So for queer Muslims who have been isolated and shunned from their families, what has been yeah. the effect on them attending this kind of event? Because um, like I said, so normally for iftar, because everybody, you know, people actually gather together to, to break fast together. So, uh, so normally, you know, I mean, it's not any different from from having dinner with your family, but it's just that for this month, people make a point of, of being with their family in the community. Yeah. So the difference is that for people who may not have that connection with their family anymore, this is the whole purpose of that. When you have uh, an iftar specifically for queer Muslims, for them, this is a chance for them to to spend time together uh, with other queer Muslims who who have experienced the same thing, or it's just a space for them to know other queer Muslims. So the feedback um, is obviously a welcoming one, um, and that, and it's necessary because, um, from my own experience, 
um, the queer Muslim community is still quite fragmented. So this is actually something that, that needs to be done. So I'm actually involved with, with this particular queer IFTA. And, um, and so one of my feedbacks for the purpose of creating this uh, IFTA is about reaching out to folks, uh, queer Muslims who have not, uh, you know, who may have not found uh, other queer Muslims or may not know where to go. So this is an opportunity for that. We're even offering um, uh, financial assistance for people who, who may have trouble getting to the location that we're, where the iftar is. So that just goes to show how really important that we want to reach out to people who, who may not have the access or the, the group that they want to go and find during iftar, during, sorry, during Ramadan. That sounds fantastic. And it's really wonderful that you're reaching out to a whole demographic of queer Muslims who may not have the opportunity to spend that time with their family for various reasons, in, in, you know, uh, homophobia or homelessness or, or shunning from family members from their uh, religious families. When what, Just a couple more questions on the iftar because I've, whilst I am a person that understands that Ramadan is something that occurs, it wasn't until today that I knew what iftar was and I understand it's it's the meal that you have after um, observing the fast. Um, my question is, how, how can people um, find out more information about the Queer Ramadan Social? Um, I think you said that it, it's a, a private group. Is there some way that they can get in contact with one of the organisers if uh, people that are listening uh, want to get in contact? Um do you have a website that you can you you have that information? Yeah, point, we can totally we can totally post it on a website or um, on our Facebook page. Yes. Yeah, so we can. I'll I can forward you the number of the coordinator um, yeah. that we, we can give out. Yeah. It's just that we haven't really publicly advertised uh, sure. as much because we are also trying to um, ensure people's uh, safety as well. Yeah. Of course. So we've been doing it very like true uh, like private channels, I suppose. I mean, uh, we forward it to queer officers, queer departments, and then um, forwarded the information to refugee organizations. So we've been trying to do it like a, in a very smaller scale in that sense. So since this is the first time um, where I guess we're trying to explore how to reach out to, to folks. Um, but yeah, uh, we can definitely uh, give you the numbers of the people that we can call. Fantastic. Because, yeah. Uh, We've been running it for the past past few few Fridays already, and the last one will, will be this Friday. So it'll be really great that well, we can get a lot more people to come, and that we can also plan ahead what other things that we can do in the future. As Fantastic! Well. And and excuse my ignorance, please. Um, when when would be the next um Ramadan? The next, the next iftar. You mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The next iftar is oh. is, is this cut. This coming Friday. Coming Friday, and when would be the next, the fasting next, the period. next fasting period? Yeah. Does it happen often? Uh, it be, this is like um, be, this is like Muslim one-on-one teaching for a white person. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, it will happen next year. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's once It'll be a year. Around the same time. Yeah. Fantastic. Next yeah, once a year. That's what I thought, but thank you for clarifying that, Aslan. I really appreciate that. I suppose yeah. we can move on in the conversation. Um, I know you've done plenty of other um, advocacy work um, you've been involved in productions and I suppose when Tracy and I were preparing this show and this interview um, 
and from previous conversations we've had with you, we wanted to discuss a production that you were involved in called Queer Asian um, Anonymous. Anonymous, Queer Asians Anonymous. And the production's byline asks, how does it feel to be a minority within a minority? Can you can you unpack that a little bit more for us and tell us what that means, um, especially for you on a personal level? Well, um, like I mentioned before in a previous interview with you guys, mm. um, I mean the, this the play that I, pro- that I produced with uh, with other queer Asians, um, and we collectively call ourselves the Queer Asian Theatre Project. This is basically. Um, I guess, in a way, to address the issues that we experience as queer Asians in in the in the gay community. So, um, the opportunity that exists in this space is that we can also unpack all the issues that happens within the gay community as well. And and, I'm, and I guess I'm saying this from a from a cis male uh, gay person because the origins of the play started out uh, from the experience of myself and some other people. Um, in a gay gay male support group, so from there, there's a lot of issues that's 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 already uh, embedded within within that space. We talk about you know uh, internalized racism, internalized homophobia, uh, uh, misogyny. So this was an opportunity to kind of talk about all those issues and some of the experiences that I myself and other people experienced. Obviously, as a queer Asian, is that we found that in a very white-dominated space, like in Melbourne, we realize that there's, um, there's a gay hierarchy and that people's value or worth is determined by how white they, they, and how white they can be, for example. Um, and there's also other aspects as well. It's not just how white you can be, but how masculine or how attractive you are. Yeah. But it all kind of like diminishes a person's, person's humanity, yeah. So what happens is for people of color is that we're all just kind of reduced to whatever stereotype. Mm-hmm. What else? Um, uh, gay white men um, are kind of like seen in the full spectrum of humanity. You know that that they're they're individual that they're that they're individuals. Whereas non-white uh, gay men are only reduced to their stereotypes. So like for queer Asian men, it's a lot of the negative. Uh, stereotype, uh, being submissive or uh, femme or whatever, and then even for people who are like Latino or even like Black, it's like um, they kind of say again they're kind of reduced to stereotypes such as uh, for Latinos that they're all very um, uh, voracious lovers or um, Black gay men are all like uh, hugely endowed. So it's like. Um, it's like yeah, they strip away all the humanity, um, and and you kind of so uh, within the dating space, it's, it's it's not a very nuanced and not a very um, enriching experience because you're just reduced to a stereotype. And, and were these kind of the the topics or the the lines of conversation that happened within this um, the play that you discussed? Because you said it was the experience of um, a gay male support group. Was that based on a real gay male support group? Yeah. So that was just so that's what is one aspect of mm. it. So we kind of trying to explore those issues within that space because um yeah, cuz all those topics actually came out within the within the gay male support group. 
so basically the play kind of like took all of those issues and kind of we kind of also added some other stuff that wasn't explored within the gay gay support group and we just kind of expanded on that. I think and a lot of the things that you have brought out, Aslan, really feed into the whole concept of toxic masculinity, which happens quite a lot within the gay male spectrum of our community. Not so much in so much in the queer male, but definitely in the gay community that machoism yep. occurs quite a lot. And you are right, cis white <coughs> gay men do for some unknown reason hold this um what do you call it? Hierarchy within the community and where people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, they're, like you said, reduced to a stereotype or all these other very atypical reasons why they're not viewed as attractive or desirable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I didn't even know your production had existed and if I had, I would have loved to have seen it because I feel like it you know, impacted a lot of things that many people yeah. within our community experience. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like, there's a lot of topics, a lot of issues that wanted to unpack. Um, and it's not really easy to kind of, like, because you kind of have to, like, cut it down into a blurb, like, on your production. But mm-hmm. how do you kind of, like, try to compress all of that information in a blurb? But we really did try to connect for all those issues because because the purpose of the play wasn't just to kind of only highlight one, um, ex- one gay experience. It's like they were, like, especially the gay Asian, there's a lot of, a lot of misconception as well. Like um, one of the things that we talked about was the fact that gay Asians tend to be kind of like uh, also within the gay POC. Um, it's only reduced to East Asian, where else um, South Asians or Muslim Asians are not are not included in that space. So we kind of use that, that the play to kind of mention that as well. Like there are South Asians, are Asians as well. And uh, Southeast Asian Muslims are also Asians as well. So we kind of talked about that. And their experience are somewhat similar, but haven't been discussed as much as well. So that's what we did. Yes. And so we talked about even, so even when I play, we also talk about the experience of queer Asian Muslims um, dealing with Islamophobia within the gay community. That's a really complex issue. I'd love to un- unpack that sometime. Can Can you give us a couple of lines um, or maybe a paragraph on this particular topic? About You said Islamophobia occurs within gay communities? Well, I think with with any people of faith, um, well, I guess because I guess Islam is the most, it's probably one of the least understood religion at this point, yeah, is that people only kind of see, only get, seems to understand it from, the, from, from what you get from mainstream media and what mainstream media has, has kind of shown uh, Islamic extremism. So, so even within the gay community, people still kind of have this feeling that Islam or Muslims would want to escape from the religion because this is the kind of religion where actually punish uh, gay men. Yeah, so so that's the only view that they understand of Islam and Muslims. So in that space, gay Muslims, queer Muslims are kind of erased, or they would assume that there wouldn't be any gay Muslims because their religion is so barbaric or whatever. Um, so what they fail to realize is that they are gay Muslims who are trying to reconcile their religion and their sexuality because but in the, in the gay community is like it's only accepted that you either are gay and you reject religion or you become a muslim and you don't be a, yeah. uh, a gay person or whatever you know so there's this binary thinking of either or so so the whole point of, of talking about queer muslims or gay muslims is that, that no we are people who who, do, who who reject that notion of 
obviously to reject the barbarism and extremism, but at the same time, we also love aspects of our religion, and we still kind of reconcile that that within you know the sexuality and our religion at the same time. And that's something that that's our journey, and that's something that we want to deal with. And and what we don't appreciate in the gay community is that people forcing us to choose only one aspect of ourselves. I think for religion, it's a lot for a lot of folks. It's still a very personal journey, personal issue, and they kind of try to reconcile whatever they can about their religion. So I, I mean, I would have to say that I, I, I identify myself as a queer Muslim, but I don't exactly practice all of the tenets of Islam at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's just my personal journey, and that's, and that's how I feel at this point. I don't know how I feel about that in the future. Yeah. Uh, so for me. Uh, what compelled me to stay with the religion is because th- there's actually a lot of uh, social justice aspects to the religion. We talk about equality, we talk about compassion, we talk about charity. Um, so for me, that's that's the the motivating force, or I mean, the 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 key issues within Islam that I I cling on to, and that's why I am proud to be Muslim because yeah. of those issues. Okay. Um, so for me. Uh, I really can't divorce that from myself. I mean, um, I know that uh, the very complex uh, issue reconciling your sexuality and religion, but that, that's why there are scholars trying to trying to have a better understanding of those issues because a lot of the things about religion and not just Islam is about interpretation, and and that keeps changing once people have a better understanding of, of those issues. Am I answering the question? You are. Yeah. I mean, that's such a it's such a beautiful answer as well. Um, some of the things that really stood out there is you know the the key the key elements of um, Islam. Some of the stuff you said about like equality and charity, which which a lot of people yeah. can really right, Tracy can, yeah. can really um, understand those two um, elements yeah. um, of that religion, especially the equality bit. So I can see you know that answer was just perfect yeah aslan we'll we'll have to leave it there um i I now wish we had um a longer time to speak with you because there's um so many things to unpack within this intersection of being queer and muslim aslan thank you so much um for uh, joining tracy and i on queer in the air it's uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you thank you so much thank you aslan bye and that was aslan a queer muslim person who has been such an advocate in the community it sounds like tracy um, yeah. all their incredible work we are going to be speaking with babak sayed but first of all we'll play a really beautiful nice song tracy i chose this really cool song okay. do you know kitty smile at all this is kitty smile with be honest QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month. Or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR. Funded by the City of Yarra. And you're listening to 3CR's Queer in the Air with Tracy and Envy. It's now 34 minutes past three. 
On the line, we have Babak Sayed. Babak is a mentee coordinator for the LGBTIQ Individual Mentoring Program at Queerspace. Babak is also editor of Un Magazine, I hope I said that correctly, a social worker, a writer, and a queer person of colour. Babak, welcome to Queer in the Air. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Hello, Babak. Hi. Um, so, I know that you're in Sydney at the moment, right? Yeah, I'm on a kind of chaotic walk to get my phone, but I'm here for it. Okay. So, uh, Babak, uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? We have already given the bio, but just tell us a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, I'm currently coordinating a program for Queer Space um, that uh, has basically been funded out of um, suicide prevention money. So one mm-hmm. of the ways that um, the kind of government and the community is responding to LGBT um, suicide is by trying to create models for um, kind of community mentoring and skills sharing that um, kind of depart from a diagnostic or pathologized model and kind of um, put community care back in the hand of hands of like peers and individual members um, within community. So um, that's kind of the work that I'm doing at the moment that we are uh, recruiting um, mentees and mentors to um, to help build. Yeah, great. So how did these programs come about? Uh, the program came about from, I guess it's been like a kind of two-year process of consulting with various community groups and public health organizations in the queer mental health sphere. And through that process, um, like lots of different people from lots of different intersections kind of fed back on ways to um, to kind of respond to the niche intersection of um, LGBTIQA mental health yeah. and also um, kind of risks and challenges that um, we encounter in, in the mainstream public health sector. And mm-hmm. so in part of doing that, um, a few different kind of uh, LGBTI mental health um, and public health organisations have received funding to respond. So some of that is for aftercare, um, for communities who've been devastated by suicide. Mm. Um, some of that is training for first responders, so, so ambulance, so that in case, for instance, yeah, ambulance, if there is someone who's uh, found themselves in, in an emergency unit but is trans or gender diverse and is being misgendered, then that yeah. just kind of compounds existing, um, you know, trauma and distrust in kind of health infrastructure which is not what we're trying to do yeah wow that's really wonderful so what will um the mentoring look like so yeah i mean that's a good question it's kind of um we've been through a process of consultation and um figuring stuff out and basically the mentoring program looks at um skills sharing um as a way of building organic partnerships and relationships that break down the typical kind of uh, intergenerational um, top-down model of mentoring and instead looks at how peers who've been through a similar experience can kind of share a skill and in the process of sharing a skill, 
build mental health and resilience and form connection for people who might be mm. socially isolated or struggling with, you know, anything from coming out, transitioning, uh, staying discreet, um, you know, having newly moved to Melbourne, being socially isolated or just struggling to, like, handle everything um, simultaneously. Because what's happening right now is the queer mental health um, kind of support system is really inundated with um, with need um, and with clients and there's actually not enough practitioners and not enough support services yeah. to meet the need. Um, so it's just kind of like an alternative model uh, or a supplementary model to counselling and family violence work um, that looks at preventative rather than crisis work. Yeah. Wow. Baba, can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean when you say pre- preventative work for some of our listeners that don't understand what that means in the context of this type of mentoring program and I suppose dismantling that top-down model that we usually see in uh, mentoring or mentorship programs? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think it's um, some of the issues that um, mental health organisations and programs have which specifically look at suicide and which look at um, a person in a state of crisis, whether that's homelessness or um, drug use or family violence or any kind of combination of factors that are leading someone to have a really rough time. Um, You know, programs at that stage are really ill-equipped and that person is already kind of experiencing a state of agitation and, Mm. and difficulty that makes it hard to support them. And it's hard to kind of anticipate what their specific needs are and be sensitive to them. So I guess um, what this program aims to do is create um, and incentivize um, people before they reach that state of crisis to reach mm-hmm. out and gain support and build their kind of um, you know emotional infrastructure to help them identify when they need support further upstream instead of waiting till things are really getting out of hand. Yeah. You've kind of actually um, answered my next question, So, but, but I'll ask it anyway. So what, in your opinion, what are the challenges that um, are going to be, like, will be faced when coordinating this type of program? Well, I think um, one of the first challenges that we've already encountered is that there's such a heightened distrust um, from the queer community of mainstream services um, and even mental health, even in the mental health field. And that's really justified, you know, like so many queer and trans and gender diverse um, people, especially from any intersections of race and disability, have had such disastrous encounters with healthcare, with education, and with things that the state designs in order to help us. And so I think it's a tough position to be in a, in a role that is trying to um, kind of reclaim control over that mental health and put it back in the hands of queer people because straight people and the state have um, have kind of failed to meet our needs and sensitivities for so long. Yeah. So I think one of the challenges is like rebuilding trust um, in a community that has been so burnt historically by um, insensitive service provision. As, as those challenges arise, um, what 
what do you think will be the main drive in dispelling those challenges? It sounds like you are in a recruitment service, um, recruitment drive at the moment for the mentoring program. And I understand that was like a survey monkey survey that was held a few weeks ago. Yeah. So what has been the result or the feedback from that survey? Has there been a, a bit of interest from mentors that want to be involved in this program? Yeah, we've had um, a really incredible um, turnout of people who've identified the interest because mentorship uh, needs to happen on a voluntary basis yeah. because the understanding is that in order for those relationships to be sincere and genuine um, and coming from a place of care rather than um, an economic incentive, yeah. um, it's important for them to be voluntary. And so rather than reaching out to people that we think would be incredible mentors and pressuring them into participating in the program by kind of putting this call out into um, the Melbourne area for people who have, who self-identify as having capacity and a skill to share um, and who might be interested in passing that on to someone who's having a more difficult time at the moment. And, you know, those skills are anything um, from stick and poke tattoos to DJing to uh, gardening to sculpting, you know, and it's a really impressive selection of people who've like come forward already and identified um you know having capacity to participate in that way but i guess kind of we're still at the stage now where we are kind of having one last push before we begin the training process um for mentors um and so yeah i guess if anyone that's listening um thinks they have capacity to contribute or thinks they have a skill to share or you know um, kind of wishes that they had a mentor growing up who mm-hmm. could show them the ropes of navigating community and navigating language and, and figuring it out, um, then, you know, they should reach out to the Survey Monkey and, and we can be in touch about, like, negotiating an arrangement based on whatever, you know, needs that both parties have. And, and this um, survey is still available, available for people to access, is that correct? And yeah. if so, how can people find it? Is there like a, a search word that is, would best fit this kind of thing? Yeah, I think uh, it's in the Queerspace website. Um, so there are Great. two programs basically um, that come up fit under the mentoring umbrella. The first one is like individual mentoring, um, where one person mentors one per- another person or a group of people in like a workshop or class setting um, that basically is kind of set over a certain amount of time, anywhere from a couple of months up into a year every fortnight. Um, that we that we support both parties to kind of share the skill, build a lesson plan, and 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 and, and also um, help with materials costs and food costs and those kinds of things, um, so that no one's actually like put out of anything but their time. Um, the second program is a family mentoring program. So that program is uh, looks at families of a queer loved one who are at uh, further along in their acceptance journey, um, who might be able to support um, a family or a loved one of a queer family member who's, um, you know, uh, still fresh to the experience. And, you know, we take a very expansive and queer approach to the idea of family. That can be anything from, um, you know, someone in a relationship with a person who has just come out as trans and they're negotiating what it means for their sexuality and their relationship if they're navigating um, a relationship with a person who now identifies differently. 
and mm. rather than um, putting the, that trans person through the process of explaining things and having to kind of like walk a person through that journey in addition to kind of going through the journey by themselves that we kind of match them with a family who are able to provide that support as a peer who's kind of gone through it before already. This, like, how did this even come about? Like, who, who decided, let's do this program? Well, I mean, it was kind of, it was part, part of this two-year-long consultation um, mm. about suicide. And I kind of, well, yeah, I was part of this task force that this kind of, the, the, the public health network through the, the government put together. And, and it was this process where they were just like, they had no language to understand the discrepancy between, um, like, existing suicide rates and um, and queer specific suicide rates, and they had no understanding of the challenges that queer people face, and the kind of approach and the pushback that queer people often have towards top-down authority, especially when a, when it's heterosexual and cisgender, kind of coming down and trying to preach about how to live and how not to live, because you know for for a good reason we um, are defensive about that. We spend our whole lives defending our lifestyles and defending our relationships from top-down authority figures telling us to live differently. So I think this, as I'm, this model is basically looking at how we can equip and train communities as peers to be supporting one another in, in really non-hierarchical ways. If people want to get more information, obviously look up the Survey Monkey. Is there a telephone yeah, number or an email that people can get in contact with or, or another way yeah. that people can find out info? Yeah, I guess, um, so, so I guess there are a few ways. Um, on the Queer Space website, um, the, the individual program is called Polaris, and the family program is called Place at the Table. Um, you can access those programs and information about them through the Queer Space website, or you're also welcome to um, email me on bobuk, B-O-B-U-Q dot Saeed, S-A-Y-E-D, at cs.org.au, um, and I can provide you with more information or have a phone call with you to answer any questions. Um, and we're really responsive to that. I want to ask one question that's not related to this program, and I hope that's okay. Um, you were part of a panel called the Post-Gender Bubble um, with Simona Castricum as a convener and also with Nayuka Gori and uh, Brooke Powers, and you were talking about, uh, well, it was pretty incredible. Um, I was um, in the audience watching that. So just one question. Um how do you feel as queers that we move in this world and how do you think that we can empower ourselves to be more resistive to cis heteronormative ideals? Well, the first thing that comes to, to mind is to kind of to, to take a, a complex and multivalent approach to, 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 an, to an answer like that. So, so and at the same time as there is um, a spiritual shift a turn of consciousness that's important for us to kind of, um, you know, rebuild our cognition in ways that, um, that don't always already criminalize and, um, and view the other and the stranger in society as, 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 as immoral and indecent. Um, simultaneously with that spiritual turn of consciousness, I think it's really important to be participating politically and artistically in ways that are also invested in um, yeah, in like system redesign, in, in, in conceiving of alternative arrangements 
And, and I think that's something that queers could do a lot better is rather than just like criticize the existing systems that exist around us, which of course there is a place for, um, to spend as much energy in also conceiving of alternatives, in building, in producing and, and constructing at the same time as, as we're deconstructing. And I think if we were able to do that a lot more proactively um, and with, with greater kindness, I think um, we'd see a lot more growth and movement and connectivity in our community. Definitely. That's a wonderful answer. And on that note, thank you, Babak Said, for joining us on 3CR's Queer in the Space. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, speak with pleasure. you. Sorry and for all the background noise. And if people want to get into contact with uh, Babak, then you can get into contact with them via the Queer Space uh, website or via email at babak.sayed at ds.org.au. We'll have those details up on our socials. Thanks, Heath. Babak, we'll speak with you soon. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Bye. They're wonderful. Oh, my God. I love them so much. You have no idea. They're a wealth of information and they they speak yeah. so succinctly and calmly. So it's really wonderful to have Babak putting forward this amazing program as well. We've had a, a wonderful afternoon. We've had um, inc- two incredible guests. Yeah. Uh, we've just had an interview with Babak Sayed, Sayed yeah. who is the ment- mentee coordinator for the LGBTIQ Individual Mentoring Program at Queer Space. There's two programs within that, which is the individual mentoring and also the family mentoring program. Get more information via the Queer Space website and also via Babak's email, which we've just explained. Babak did touch a little bit um, on discussions of suicide. And so if any of these things have been a trigger for you, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14, or you can call Queer Space as well. And Queer Space's number is nine double six three six seven double three or you can contact kilo one eight hundred one eight four five two seven but we'll have those details up on our socials so that if you need help you can contact the right person and then we had the wonderful aslan on our program as well just unpacking some ideas of what it's like to be a queer muslim um talking about uh the queer ramadan social and the iftar i learned a whole bunch of things that i had no idea about so it was mm-hmm. an absolute pleasure to uh, to speak with Aslan and there was a telephone number if you are a queer Muslim person and want to um, um, go to the next do you have a number there Tracy it was on um, the flyer I just look it up real quick so this is if you need um, either financial assistance or transportation assistance to go to the next queer Ramadan social which is on every Friday at 5 p.m. and next Friday will be the last one the number is... I got it. Cool, um, beautiful. 04268-62610. I'll say it again. 04268626610. Beautiful. And we'll put those details up on the Facebook and Twitter if people need to get in contact um, to attend that. It is four minutes to four. We are... We are out of here. Yep. Up next is Hip Sister Hop with DJ Abyss, but we'll leave you with a song and we're going to play Selfie by Melbourne band Habits. Have a great afternoon.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.